Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20 with Pastor John King. Detailed descriptions of God's armor and the absolute need to put it on in order to stand and withstand. Now we head out into the battlefield. But today we'll learn how prayer combines with our armor to make us useful on the spiritual battleground. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. He said, prayer is the energy that enables the Christian soldier to wear the armor and to wield the sword. We cannot fight the battle on our own power, no matter how strong or talented we may think we are. When Amalek attacked Israel, Moses went to the mountaintop to pray, while Joshua used the sword down in the valley. It took both to defeat Amalek, Moses' intercession on the mountain, and Joshua's use of the sword in the valley. Prayer is the power for victory, but not just any kind of prayer. Paul tells us how to pray if you and I would defeat Satan. So let's read our passage together. Follow along. is verse 17 of chapter 6. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for just the wonderful time that we share each and every Sunday and each time we gather in your name. Lord, you are such a good God. And you provide all that we need, all that we could ever need. And so, Lord, as we perhaps take a deep breath and just sit at your feet, Lord, as you teach us your word, may we take it in. May we expect you to work in our hearts and minds. May we expect to encounter you through your word today. Wield the Spirit, Lord, the sword of the Spirit in our hearts. We ask and pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So real briefly from last week, we see the command to take up your helmet and sword, and I've spoken about that. Uh, and the reason, I, as I said, I included that is because, you know, that's the thing that we take. We've already got the armor on, now we take it. But then we go next to our next verse, and we're going to talk about it in verse 18. But before we do that, I'd like to read a quote from a, a book by Pastor Kent Hughes. He wrote it. The book was titled, Liberating Ministry from the success syndrome. And he talks about us being dressed. He says, a Christian warrior is dressed in the full armor of God. Everything about it says action. As he readies himself, he adjusts his war belt. His heart pounds under his breastplate. He scuffs at the earth like a football player with his nail-studded boots. Testing his traction, he repeatedly draws his great shield across his body in anticipation of the fiery barrages to come. Reflexively, he reaches up and positions his helmet, and he gingerly tests the edge of his blade. The enemy approaches. A thousand swords ring from their scabbards in dreadful symphony. The warrior stands motionless, breathing heavily. 
And then the Christian soldier does the most amazing thing. He falls to his knees in deep, profound prayer. To be sure, there will be action. He will rise and his steel will flash. But all will be done in prayer. For prayer is primary. And so here we have in verse 18, we begin, Paul begins to speak of the description of prayer. He's going to describe it for us. First of all, he's going to say that prayer is continual. Prayer is continual. Praying always. This is a verb, of course. Praying always. Praying to who? To God. Always. That's that word kairos on all occasions in every season of life. Someone said that prayer should not be an afterthought for believers, but rather the primary force of strength. And how often do you and I put prayer in our back pocket when we need to put it out front in the battle? In Acts 1.14, we saw the early church. It said, these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. This early church gathered together. And what did they put first? Prayer. The power of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul wrote, pray without ceasing, without intermission. Now, you may say, you might say, or, you know, you hear this, you've heard this preach maybe all of your life. And you may say, well, you know what, pastor, constant prayer is just not practical. It's just not practical. Now, this would come to mind, especially if you regard it as a religious exercise meant only for certain times of the day or the week. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. Spiritual routine and the setting aside of special times is good. That's why you're here today. Amen? Amen? But if you think that's the only time, and I know you don't think that, but sometimes our actions prove what we truly believe. So please don't make the mistake of thinking that those are the only times you can pray. I know a lot of religious people. I grew up in a very religious early upbringing. You know, if you prayed over somebody who was sick and dying, they'd say, I'm not dead yet. Okay? They thought that, that prayer was for something else, that you wouldn't, you know. But any, in any event, it was very religious and very legalistic. We have been set free from special times and days with which to access the throne of grace. Remember the high priest, he could only enter the Holy of Holies, how often? Once a year with a rope tied to his leg, you know, and those little bells, if they weren't jingling, if they didn't hear him jingling back there, the people would pull him out because he wasn't prepared to get into the presence of God. And so he may have fallen dead, and, and Jewish history does record a few of those incidents. The Lord's mighty work on the cross through his shed blood made a way where there was no way. And so now we have complete and 24-7 access to the throne of grace. But it's also very um, important to be in a state of continuous prayer. Why? Because of our tendency to be overconfident. I mentioned that earlier. You know, we're going through life, prayer's back here. We got our agenda, and we're moving forward in our own strength. David Guzit said this. He said, we can say that it is through prayer 
that spiritual strength and the armor of God go to work. In theory, the prayerless Christian can be strong and wearing all the armor, he writes, but never accomplishes anything because he fails to go into the battle through prayer. You can look good. You can, you know, sort of walk the walk and make the look be very religious or whatever it is. But if you don't do it through prayer, you're not going to be effective. Winston Churchill said to Britain in the early days of the Second World War, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. And you and I, we're in a battle. So does this mean I walk around each day, you know, from when I wake to sleep with this sort of running verbal dialogue that everybody else can hear? Obviously not. But keep in mind that God created man with a very impressive mental capacity. And yes, God created man. The simplest way to describe it is that in our minds, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. In fact, we can chew many flavors of gum at the same time. Some refer to this as our secret dialogue with God. He's always with us. And we can always look upward with our hearts and minds. We think about that secret dialogue in our culture today. This secret dialogue, of course, is not always unknown by others. If they know you as a Christian and as a praying Christian, well, then they can guess that if you're standing in front of an abortion clinic, being silent, not saying anything, that you may well be praying because you've done that many times before. And that's exactly what happened here in December to a woman named Isabel, Isabel Vaughn Spruce. She was recently arrested, you may have heard about it, in Birmingham, England, for simply standing outside of an abortion clinic. And when she was questioned by police, and this is all on video, she was arrested, after the series of questioning and everything else, she was arrested for silently praying. They asked her, they said, are you praying? She said, well, I, I might be praying, and I might also be thinking about where I'm going to go for lunch. And because she admitted that she was praying in her head, the officer arrested her. What, was she, what did she violate? Well, they have in this particular part of London, or England, uh, and other places, it's a censorship, censorship zone. And it's introduced being what's, what's called uh, the Public Space Protection Order. And it criminalizes individuals perceived to be engaging in any act of approval or disapproval or attempted act of approval or disapproval. It's, it's pretty subjective. In relation to abortion, including through verbal or written means, prayer or counseling. And there was much outrage about this, and this has been considered you know, a thought crime. You know, the reality of thought crimes having come into society. And her case was dismissed on February 3rd. But there was a warning from the British prosecutors, and they said that the charges may well start again. In our country, we see people standing in front of abortion clinics praying. And there is a federal law that says you cannot block the entrance to an abortion clinic. 
And we abide by that law. But if there's going to be a law that's created that says you are not allowed to pray silently in your head in public, we folks are in trouble. The enemy would have people believe that simple, silent prayer is now a threat to choice. But we know, and so does our enemy, that God hears prayer and he acts accordingly to his will. We also see that prayer is spirit-led. Prayer is continuous. Prayer is spirit-led. He says, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Supplication simply means asking God for his help for the needs or wants of ourselves or others. Our prayer list, our prayer requests. But it says here to do it in all supplic in supplication in the spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Don Stewart, a Bible commentator, suggests, uh, he, he brings up this, this notion of praying in the Spirit. And it's a little bit of a, of a dispute in the church about it. The Bible commands believers to pray in the Spirit, and there have been a couple of suggestions as to what this means, he writes. First of all, there are those who believe that it refers to using the gift of tongues in a devotional manner. Perhaps a prayer language. Praying in the Spirit is thus praying in tongues. When a person prays in the Spirit, they pray directly to God without understanding what they're saying. This is what Paul encourages believers to do. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15, he wrote, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? And he says this, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Others argue that praying in the Spirit means praying with or by the means of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit helps Christians by bringing to mind the things that they should be praying for. This is because we do not know what to ask or how to pray correctly, do we? Oftentimes, you know, when we get in this prayer repetition, we just start saying the same things over and over again. Why is that? Because we don't understand why and how to pray correctly. And the Spirit will tell us when we come into prayer, we need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and His Word. He says, therefore, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help believers to pray for the right things in the right way. Jesus said, I will send you a helper, a parakletos. Romans 8, 26 and 27 states it clearly. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. And because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, we are, we are his children. We are in his hand. He wants to help us in every aspect of life. And he, he wants to help us in our prayer time. Now some think, and I agree, some think that it is possible that both ideas that we just said that were under consideration are true. The Holy Spirit does indeed teach us what to pray and guides us in our prayers. So no, whether... Praying in the Spirit as a reference to speaking in tongues is something that, you know what, we'll let that lie where it is. But here's the thing. We need to pray all the time. 
We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to bring to mind the things needed. And do not let theological debates or disputes interrupt your need to pray. Theology is wonderful. A system is a wonderful thing for a Christian. But don't forget your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't forget the fact that the Bible says you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So all those things that can clutter your mind, don't let them get in the way of your prayers. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and listen to how He speaks to you through the Word. The burden you have to pray for a lost loved one or a fellow believer, you know what? It comes with the help of, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And learn to be sincere and wait on the Lord in silence. Oftentimes we just want to get right to it. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we will fall upon our knees and cry out to God. Because, you know, we are, we are just, we're in such a state. But sometimes it's just like, I just need to learn how to be sincere before you, Lord. I say too much when I should be listening much more. Will you speak through your word? Will you speak through the Holy Spirit while I sit in silence? We all have our personal prayer requests and our specific needs. But let's let the Holy Spirit energize your prayer in your heart. Amen? Amen. No matter where you land with regard to this praying in the Spirit, two supernatural things occur. Two supernatural things occur. First of all, the Spirit tells you what we are to pray for, and He gives us the energy and the power to pray, to make that happen, and the conviction. So we pray all the time. We pray in the Spirit. Prayer is Spirit-led. Also, prayer has variety. We mentioned that this morning. Prayer has a variety. He used the term all prayer. Now this collectively means some of all types. If the NIV, if you have an NIV Bible, it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. It shouldn't, as I said earlier, be limited to formal occasions. And it should have a variety of, of settings, corporate settings. We know this. Sunday mornings we gather for prayer before service. We also schedule men's and women's prayer meetings. We have our private settings at home with your family. While you're driving, please keep your eyes open when you do that. You say, I can't pray with my eyes open. Yes, you can. Jesus did. He looked to heaven and prayed. Read that all the time. Waiting, walking, working. You get the picture, right? It, it can be. Again, you can, you can chew gum and pray at the same time. You can walk. And someone has said that because we learn to pray continually, and this is something we all need to learn, to pray continually. You know, it's, it should be a goal in our hearts. Often, again, it's not, unfortunately. But nobody has arrived there. Nobody has arrived there. We are all to learn how to pray continually. And we do this. It will have variation. We'll have prayers of thanksgiving. We'll have prayers of adoration, confession, intercession. We'll be humble before the Lord. Prayers during our time of singing praises. And the list goes on and on and on. So prayer has variety. Prayer is also persistent and specific. Prayer is persistent and specific many times. 
He says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Being watchful. This is the word, the Greek word to be sleepless. To be sleepless. To be attentive and circumspect. Ready. The word expresses not mere wakefulness. The dictionary would tell you, the Bible dictionary. But watchfulness. You know, are you watchful and intent upon a thing to hear from the Lord on how to pray? What is he giving you? How is he speaking to your heart? And we're to do that with all perseverance. We're to continue. To be persistent is to do it without withering or shriveling up. You know, we're looking and we're expecting him to do a work. And we do, we've got to encourage one another in this. Because many times we can pray for decades literally years and months and decades for things for God's will to be done in a certain situation and we need to be persistent and continue and we need to encourage one another to do that you know what it looks like you, you, many if you have prodigal sons or daughters you will wait maybe again like I said possibly decades and there are so many examples we don't have time to give you of somebody who may have prayed for 30 or 40 of years, years for somebody to come back to the Lord, somebody to receive the Lord. There are plenty of testimonies. You may know of it yourself. You may have it as part of your life. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus said this. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What a promise. What a promise to remember. We pray with all perseverance and supplication. This is where we get specific. We do that very often when we come in here on Sunday mornings. There's specific prayers and needs here in the body, and those we know. There's illnesses, struggles, needs among us. And we have these prayer lists and prayer requests. We send out the emails. You guys know what I'm talking about. That's supplication. But it's interesting that God encourages us to pray so much, as much as he does. You know, it's more than a mystery, isn't it? When we try to understand the fact that he already knows the end from the beginning in every situation of our lives. And yet he encourages us to come before him. You see, this speaks to the fact that this is not a cold religious exercise. This is a relationship that he wants to have with you and I. And so as we learn to trust him more and cast off our self-assurance in humility, he delights in our perseverance. And he honors our prayer. Think of that, the Lord actually honoring you in your prayers. But his wisdom and his sovereignty is so great that he will not abandon his perfect will, which we can't fathom all of that. And that's why we don't get our prayers answered oftentimes in the ways we want them. Because it's what we want. But you see, as soon as I ask, seek, and knock, and then we start to receive from the Lord. You may not get an answer for the specific thing you're praying about. But you're sensing his presence with you. Because you're sincere before him. And you know that he's heard your prayer. Because you're not basing it on whatever performance that he has. You're, you're trusting him with everything. And you're in his presence. 
We do, he, he does so say to be persistent about it, though. He says, don't just have it as a one-time experience that you had at some youth camp or some marriage retreat last weekend or whatever. It's continuous. It's continuous. Because the Greek language, these are called present imperatives. In other words, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's like a person standing at your door that won't stop knocking. Now with the ring doorbells and all the stuff we have now, I don't, don't suppose that's going to happen very often, but you know what I'm talking about. Quit knocking on the door. God does not say quit knocking. He does not say that. He wants you to. Knock away. Boom. Prayer is also intercessory. It's for all the saints. You see, Paul is talking in general about prayer and covering all these things, but he wants to make a very specific statement here. He says, I want you to pray for all the saints. That's you and I. All the saints. Those that are hagioi, the saints, sanctified or holy. We've been set apart for God. And he says, I would like you to pray. And make sure you take special time to pray for your brothers and sisters. Of course, we pray for the lost. We pray for revival, which is, you know, seems like maybe happening in parts of our country. We pray for our leaders and politicians. But here Paul is clearly setting aside a time for fellow believers. The words, how can I be praying for you? You notice it starts to become more natural among us and others that we know. Why is that? You start to become more aware of what your neighbor's going through and gently letting them know that you're there to help and that you're there in a time of need. Have you guys noticed that as a fellowship of believers, when we open the door to praying for one another, we find ourselves kind of on a new level, don't we? You know, it takes time. It takes time for this trust thing to happen. You know, you guys got a new pastor five years ago, almost five years ago. It takes time. And I've, I've you know, learned to get to know more of you not everybody. I, I, I fail in that area of getting to know one another, getting to know you guys the way that I should, and I desire to. But we find ourselves in a new level when we trust that we will actually carry out the request. When we send out the emails, or we send out the text for somebody who's been sent to the hospital for an urgent prayer, and you see the text start to come back, praying, praying right now. You know, I get the sense that it's not just lip service. In fact, I know it's not. And those of you who have been on the receiving end of prayer will testify to that. So who has God put on your prayer list? Might I suggest our missionaries? You can look out on the, in the hallway. We have a, a hallway of the, some of our missionaries that we support. Maybe it's a brother or sister serving the Lord somewhere else that you want to pray for. Again, this is for the saints. You may be praying privately about someone. And you know how much of a blessing it can be when they're told that you're praying for them. Sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to tell them that I'm praying. I don't know them that well. But the Lord has put a person on my heart and I pray for that person. Well, ask the Lord for boldness to let them know that you've been praying for them. Because that's very encouraging. Very encouraging. Now here in the last two verses, we see that Paul has his own prayer request. 
All the instruction that Paul has given on the matter of prayer, on the topic and the subject, now he says, and for me, he's asking for his own prayer request, that utterance may be given to me. The great apostle is humble and knowing his need and his calling. Utterance, that word logos in the Greek, is the faculty of speech, the skill and the practice in speaking. Speaking, And you should always pray that for your pastor. Uh, trust me. Skill in speaking may be given, may be supplied and furnished. Why? Why did Paul want that to be? Well, why was that his prayer request? Did he want to be known as a great orator? Well, he already said earlier he wasn't. How about a very super dynamic speaker, you know? He already said he wasn't that either. He says, the reason I want utterance is that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what he wanted to be able to do. As, a, as often as I open my mouth to speak. He's asking for boldness, prayer for boldness, the freedom in speaking, the unreserved courage, especially in public speech. Paul and, and anybody, it doesn't matter who you are, Paul was a man of flesh and blood. When it comes time to tell others about Jesus, I, I will tell you, you guys know it as well. You, you just clam up. It's, it can be so difficult. You talk about spiritual warfare. Just think about telling somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And think about how it's going to be when you speak to them and you tell them that, look, if you, God has given you uh, a way to avoid eternal damnation by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and you have to tell somebody that they're a sinner that they already know and if they would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior they would have eternal life in heaven and however way you say that to somebody especially you know sometimes it's easier with a stranger quite frankly than somebody you know very closely but we're called to do that and Paul was you know he was there and he was wanting to make sure that those guards and the other prisoners that were with him in house arrest, that he'd be bold enough to speak to them in that simple setting. One of the first things you learn about public speaking is that the majority of people who are being taught how to speak publicly, when you ask them privately, they fear speaking publicly more than they fear death. That's, that's one of the first things you learn when you go into a public speaking class. And it's, I, I got to tell you, it's not a good motivator. <laughs> I mean, come on. Public speaking is where you're going to, I mean, some people grow and they learn from that. I was an abysmal failure. I, couldn't, I, I was so nervous. Like, where did all this nerd, these nerves come from? Well, it's because you told me that people, they're more fearful than, you know, <laughs> speaking in public than in dying. Goodness gracious. But Paul's not asking to speak boldly in his own strength. This is not self-confidence. He is asking for what you and I should be asking for, and that's a spirit-led confidence. As what we saw with the apostles Peter and John. Peter and John stood before the great Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, in Acts 4.13. And it said, that the council said, now when they, the council, saw the boldness of Peter and John, these were un- you know, these were, these were fishermen, uneducated. And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, 
They marveled. And then they realized something. They realized that these men had been with Jesus. Because they knew about Jesus and what he did publicly and how he spoke with such great power and authority. And that's the desire he has for you and I. And so Paul is asking that he's given the power and authority, he's given the boldness to speak of the mystery of the gospel. And we talked about that earlier in the letter, in chapter 3, how Paul was given the privilege and the honor of revealing God's plan for the world through the church to the world at that time. Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's where he talks about the mystery. He was a prisoner. He's talking about the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to him, that time frame. He was put there at the right time in the right place. And he made known to Paul the mystery which was hidden from prior times and other ages. Hidden from all the Old Testament saints. But now has been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And the, and the big thing in that message was the fact that the Gentiles would now be included in the church. The whole, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, the wall of separation has now been removed. In verse 20, For which I am ambassador in chains, that it may, in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, he's kind of repeating himself, but he's an ambassador. He's, he's acting as a representative for Jesus Christ. He is in chains. He's, in, he's a prisoner, uh, either from Rome or Caesarea or Ephesus. But notice something about Paul. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't granted his own mega church, was he? Multi-site complex? I mean, he had multiple churches that he planted. But here he was in a stinky dungeon preaching the gospel. And he would go back out again and then he would land in jail again and then he would be taken out. He would be taken before Nero and then of course he would be sentenced to death and he would be beheaded on the, uh, the Appian Way outside of Rome. Now he wasn't given a, a platform but for the last 20 centuries he's been speaking to multitudes, hasn't he? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was a battle-worn soldier for Christ. He'd been in shipwrecks. He bore stripes and blows of persecution. He was stoned nearly to death. He stood before some of the most powerful men in the world. He was given the opportunity to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, to hear his voice of instruction. He was even raised to the third heaven, the place where God, you know, God lives right now. And he, even he, with all that he'd been through, he recognizes his utter need for the prayers of those in Ephesus. He's basically saying this. I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this life in Christ and the things that God has called me without your prayers. And that's what we should say to one another. Amen. We need it. As we conclude... We've learned about the need for the whole armor of God and how we're to use the armor through prayer. Let's also be reminded, though, of how the Lord used it for Peter. Luke 22, 31 and 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, his love for Peter is the same love he has for each each one of us. And so as we settle in our hearts and minds, we get ready to receive communion. Let's reflect on the fact that Jesus is praying for us. Romans 8.34 says that he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. May I challenge you today to take a closer look. Maybe it's time to rethink your priorities concerning prayer. Are you too busy? Are you too occupied with this world to make time for prayer? Maybe you do need to set aside a specific time for prayer and personal devotions. Don't let the enemy rob you and I of this important aspect of our relationship in Christ. Amen? Well, as the guys uh, sing a song, uh, I invite you, uh, maybe spend a little bit of time here, seated for a little while, and then begin to come up and take your communion elements and then return to your seats and we'll, we'll all partake together. And there proclaim, my God, how great. 
sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou We read that when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and what did he do? He gave thanks. He lifted his heart to the Lord and he prayed. And he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread and once again he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave to them and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Take, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As we close our service today, Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for the sweet fellowship that we share together in you. We ask, Lord God, that you would Equip us to be strong in you, Lord, and in the power of your might. That we would walk in humility and that we would represent you as ambassadors to the world around us. We ask for your blessing now, Lord, as we head out and go before us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Let's sing this chorus one last time. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. 
for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.